Welcome back to Green Rush Live. I'm Josh Kincaid. I'm your host while Jimmy is out walking a pack of long-haired chihuahuas. I guess he lost a bet. Uh, with me is Christopher Smith. We're going to be talking about the last prisoner project. Christopher, it's Friday. Happy Friday, man. Thank you, sir. Same to you. Now, both of us, uh, we're, we're shouting up and down the uh, the West Coast. I'm down in the down in the bottom in Los Angeles area. You're in Seattle area, or are you just in Washington somewhere? I am in Seattle. I am literally across Perfect. the street from the SeaTac Airport. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you geographically where I'm at. Hey, yeah. next time I drop in, I'm calling you for a ride. Yeah, yeah. You can always park at my house and walk there. It's that close. <laughs> Okay. Uh, you know, the last segment we were talking about some of the robberies and how they kind of started out in California, worked their way up. I briefly mentioned that um, I was robbed on 420. I was telling my my coworkers at the bank I worked at, you know, be careful. I was trying to explain what it is. I was like, this is the the Halloween for drug dealers. Uh, and then literally like two minutes later, this guy comes in, oil can with a gun, and it's like everybody on the ground. I was like, oh my god. So the FBI thought I was an insider because I, you know had some intuition, I guess. I don't know, but it's frightening to have somebody pull a gun on you because you have no idea what's going to happen. So you hear about it. It's kind of uh, something that people don't think about. And yet it's prevalent throughout the entire industry, or at least on the West coast in this existing marketplace. So, you know, as we talk about the last prisoner project and folks that have gone into jail for nonviolent crimes, for just trying to grow a plant, uh, it's, it's an interesting, uh, period that we're in where you're seeing a massive amount of robberies, no legislation to protect it, and still prisoners in jail for simply growing uh, a plant. It's a, it's a remarkable uh, mix or, or mix up or blend. I think we'll look back on this period and wonder how uh, it, it, these things will become unraveled because they have to. There's no logic to what's happening. I think like you're saying, number one is we have a, an, a, a regulatory environment which forces our businesses to operate in cash only, which means that, like you said uh, in the previous segment, I thought that was great that any business that has to hold a lot of cash is effectively a bank. So these dispensaries, for example, have have cash and some of them, depending on how well they do, they have they're making perhaps hundreds of thousands of dollars per day. Well, if they can't take that money to the bank, they have to keep it in the safe. Um, and sometimes they have to keep it in alternative safes off, uh, you know, sort of off campus or whatever. It, anyway, dealing with cash is like catnip for robbers, of course, you know, so it just attracts crime because they know where there's going to be a cannabis and B, of course, lots of free cash. Mm -hmm. So it puts those uh, not only those workers, but it puts the, uh, the the customers at the dispensary and, of course, the people in that local community. It keeps them at risk. So these regulations that are sort of not quite fixed are really keeping people at risk. And um, it's, a, it's a huge negative for our industry. There are some positive groups out there uh, when it comes to veterans, 22 Too Many, and some of these other um, groups that are trying to support one another from the ground up. And from top down, we're seeing the MORE Act and the HOPE Act. But from the ground up, we're seeing things like the Last Prisoner Project. Can you tell the audience who don't know about Last Prisoner Project a little bit about maybe how it got developed and what it is and why it's there? Because the government should <clears throat> sure. just come and, and offer something, right? 
Well, it's, 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 I think, the opposite side of the coin of what we're talking about in terms of uh, stores being vulnerable to robberies. This is, you know, robbery is a violent crime. Uh, and, the, you know, armed robbery is, uh, is potential for the ultimate violent crime, of course. And that is not what the Last Prisoner Project is, is set up to deal with at all. In fact, it's the opposite, right? So in cannabis, we know that the, the laws and the structure around the uh, prohibition of cannabis have, were, were created from the beginning, really, to uh, negatively impact communities of color. Back in the 1930s, when the Marijuana Tax Act was created through the declaration of the war on drugs in 1970 by Nixon, um, there was a consistency, which was that black and brown communities were the, the, the bad actors in these spaces. Nixon's, uh, I can't remember which advisor it was. I, I, if I heard his name, I would uh, be able to tell you, but he's been quoted as saying that the, the reason that the war on drugs was declared was because Nixon had voting blocks that were against him, blacks and hippies, basically. They, he called them anti-war demonstrators, but it was basically black, blacks and hippies. And instead of trying to convince them not to vote against them, in fact, what he did was he criminalized cannabis in particular so that he wanted to put them in jail, basically. Well, they can't vote when they're in jail. They can't vote after because now they've got a felony. Right. So this was a this was a very Machiavellian kind of strategy to punish specific groups of people. And as we know, statistically, black and brown people have been affected negatively by the war on drugs in a sort of a ratio of about four to one. The number of arrests, uh, the number of actual incarcerations after arrest are are maximally uh, targeted toward black and brown people and even. At even even today, or even as, as recently as last year, the the ratio of black and brown to white people who are in the in the legal system for cannabis, uh, this is like stop and frisk and those sorts of things. The the ratio of black and brown people is astronomically um, in in favor of well, I don't know if you're saying in favor of white people, but against black and brown people. Therefore, the residual problem of cannabis is of this structure that has operated in this way for such a long time. The residual is that there are still today for at least 40,000 prisoners still in prison. Now, these are in local prisons, state prisons, not federal. Local prisons, 40,000 people that are still imprisoned for crimes that are essentially not crimes anymore. In many, as we know, 38, 39 states have legalized cannabis for medicinal use. 18 or 19, depending on Washington, D.C., depending on how you count it, um, have legalized for all the way across the board uh, adult use, right? Anyone over 21. Even in those states, there are still people being arrested. There are still people in prison. And the last prisoner project is designed or was founded um, to try to get those people, not only to get them out of jail, because some of them are languishing, some of them are languishing, and there are case studies uh, that they, they, they show us, where people have got life sentences for very small crimes. And if you, you were to hear some of these crimes, you know, your logic alarm would go off, you know. Um, so 40,000 prisoners still imprisoned around the United States who need to be released. And some of the states are building it. This is the issue of expungement. It's the is issue of release and also of expunging their records. So again, two separate issues. Uh, one is just getting them out of jail. 
first of all, getting them out of that horrible environment, getting them back onto the free side of, of, of society. But the second part is to expunge those old records so that these people can get on with their lives in a normal way. If you have a, a, a felony for a drug uh, arrest or a drug in, incarceration, depending on the state, if you have a felony, you can't vote, you can't get a student loan, um, many times you can't be admitted into school, you can't, uh, there are many uh, 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 employment opportunities that you can't follow, you can't pursue law enforcement, you can't pursue uh, medical, I believe, if you've got a felony on your record in some, depending on the jurisdiction. So, so the lasting uh, problem, you know, incarceration is bad, and it's bad enough, but then this, it's a life sentence, really, in many cases, especially at the level of having felonies. So, I'm gonna breathe now. Long, very long-winded way of saying what the Last Prisoner Project, I believe, is trying to do, is trying to get these non-violent uh, prisoners out of prison and then use resources that are also available through other organizations to try to get these folks back on their feet, to get their records expunged so they have a clean record going forward, to get them job training, life training, get them, I mean, sometimes even a place to live, you know? When you get kicked out of prison, they give you like a hundred bucks and they say, sort of, see you later. No wonder so many end up back in prison, you know, in, in almost no time. It's, 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 a, it's a terrible system. Um, and so the Last Prisoner Project has been working quite hard in this. Um, one of the cool things about the cannabis industry is that uh, there, are, there are several companies, especially uh, there are two of that I know of here in um, California, uh, that, that uh, provide um, immediate uh, support and constant support for the Last Prisoner Project. Uh, Canacraft is one, and uh, I was going to name the, the, the Dalton Family Company Ocean products. I'm sorry, I'm getting that wrong. I apologize. Uh, also uh, provide, uh, a, let's say, a dollar per product or a certain amount of, 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 of money per uh, product sold directly to the Last Prisoner Project. So there's a lot of activity in this, uh, in this direction, and it's really the right thing to do. Joining us on the conversation is uh, Tom Howard from Cannabis. He's a cannabis industry lawyer uh, based out of Illinois and host of Cannabis Legalization News. Tom, thanks for being with us. Green Rush Live. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Josh. Hopefully things are going well on the West Coast. It's a little cold and chilly here in the you know, nation's heartland. That's, it's, it's pretty toasty over this way. You know, it's, it's Friday too, so we're not going to complain regardless. Uh, with the um, Last Prisoner Project, I know you and, and your co-host, Miggy, have, have talked to some folks and had these conversations. I know Illinois is, is not um, exempt from some, some of these issues uh, with, um, you know, people of color and, and being displaced with the war on drugs and being impacted negatively by that whole campaign. What influence though, does last prisoner project have, if any, on the state of Illinois, do they have a presence out there? Uh, they may when Craig Cecil guest on the show a few uh, weeks ago came on, you know, he's actually, he, he's got this wonderful Chicago accent. And so he's, he's from uh, Southern Chicago, I believe. And so uh, he was involved with the Last Prisoner Project for a while until he um, didn't didn't jive with their <clears throat> business vision. And so he kind of got exited. And that wasn't like the only time that I've heard that about the Last Prisoner Project, where it almost they do real work. 
but then uh, that real work might just be PR, uh, because then there's there's other guests that we've had, like Weldon Angelos uh, on the show. We've had Steve D'Angelo on the show, too, and I'm, I'm agnostic. Like, those 40,000 people that are in there, they should not be in there. And, and, you know, usually when people tend to get a cash flow, they like to protect that cash flow. I understand like both kind of things, but uh, I don't like that Craig Cecil, who was in prison for uh, his whole life until he was commuted by uh, former President Trump, uh, can't, he's not social equity. He can't get a, a license in the state of Illinois. He was caught with too much weed. Uh, I think that's kind of silly. I, I, I don't like how in the aspect of the social equity, they, they gamified it. Uh, and then they've almost made it superfluous in the sense that uh, provided that you had the right uh, corporate structure and organizational documents and buy-sell agreements all disclosed to the state, you were social equity. But then as soon as you won, like the social equity guy gets shrunk down from 51 to 5% and paid $50,000 and shown the door. And you're like, well, why did you even make it? Why, why did you even do that system that way if, if it was that easy to get around? Um, but, you know, I, I applaud the, the last prisoner project for the work that they're doing to get people out of prison. Other than that, meh, it's an interesting industry. Mm -hmm. Is the state of Illinois doing anything on their own? I mean, I know they've got social equity uh, tied into some of the uh, marijuana lounges and hospitality bills and some of those other things, but are they exclusively looking at something independently similar to the Moore or Hope Act? Uh, they have had uh, expungements built in, automatic expungements. And then if you, you got automatic expungements, if you had something that they created and defined like a minor cannabis offense. However, a lot of the other arrests uh, were not eligible for those. And they've amended the law to make it easier for those expungements to happen. They've had a lot of uh, the revenues that's been generated from the cannabis sales going back to what they call the R3 programs which would help with the expungement clinics. So that type of uh, rehabilitation is out there uh, and built into the Illinois law. But, you know, uh, that's, that's kind of like it that I've really seen for that aspect of it. Well, because why you're mentioning, I think part of that is because expungement is not free. Uh, you know, if you want to get your records, the state's going to charge you. If you want to get the records changed, well, they're going to charge you for that. So, uh, and and many times, you know, an average guy, like I'm an average lay person, you're a lawyer, but I'm an average guy, right? So I would have to hire you to help me get through the paperwork and get those, get those, make sure that I've crossed all the T's and, you know, dotted all the I's and make sure I've checked all the boxes in the right way, right? So that costs money, right? Mm -hmm. So um, some of the things that, that some of these organizations, not Last Prisoner Project, but some are working on also is trying to, uh, reduce the cost of all that stuff because it's a, just yet another way to make it impossible for prisoners to get back on their feet. Mm -hmm. Christopher, do they have? Does the Last Prisoner Project have legislative support? Are are they being listened to when uh, drafting legislation for the More or Hope Act or something similar, or is this more of a independent grassroots community organization? I believe it's more of the latter. Uh, I don't believe that they're uh, trying to necessarily get on le uh, national legislation, but I'm not sure. I'm probably not the best person to ask. Uh, uh, their, their website is, ex is really very extensive in terms of what their mission is and what they're doing. Uh, and their organization is very, very responsive. So if anyone has a question for them, I know that the, that question can be answered very, very quickly and very uh, completely, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had very good, good response. 
Yeah. And we did want to have somebody on the show to talk about that. Um, unfortunately, scheduling didn't work out last minute. So we're, we're going to be talking about it uh, regardless, because we think it's an important issue to talk about and hopefully sure. have them back on and have their representation and uh, get some of that good Q&A. But in the meantime, between Washington and California and Illinois, there's plenty of issues out there from, uh, you know, whether it's the robberies I mentioned and or some of the, the important issues uh, with social equity. Uh, we're yeah. definitely on, on that same pathway, all three states, all dealing with the same issues at the same time, even though the West Coast is a mature market, Illinois is kind of an emerging market, we're still at that same level where we all recognize the issue that some of these communities that have been really hit and don't have those opportunities, even when they get out of prison, like you mentioned, Tom, still not available, still not perfect, but they're going to try and do their best. Is it enough, though? No, I don't think that they're trying to do their best. I think that the Illinois program was written by the MSOs to create a feeder system for them to be able to pick up distressed assets on the cheap and expand their reach. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is me, a former uh, bank lawyer, uh, the, the, one of the most jaded of all lawyers, a bank lawyer, uh, and then seeing how the, the social equity uh, licensing structure of Illinois has you know, led to like what I would describe as sham transactions that are, are blessed by the state of social equity, and then also uh, placing people into a predicament where the smallest grow costs about like eight to nine million dollars to get off the ground, and they don't have that. They've disclosed a, a private capital raise uh, for getting operational, which doesn't take six months, and then the state gives them six months to be operational. Uh, even if you had the, the millions of dollars and the credit already lined up and you could press go, the construction still would probably take longer than six months. Uh, it, they just seem like they've set it up so well that it's not going to move. And the only thing that's going to happen is people are going to you know, fail to launch and that'll create distressed assets that can be bought on the cheap. Or it's going to be a never ending uh, piece of litigation so that uh, there's no competition that comes online. And then, like I said, you know, like once they have their 10 licenses, that's really all the product they can move in that state, unless they're in all the other dispensaries. And, and it's just, you know, there hasn't been any new dispensaries since they legalized it almost three years ago now. No new dispensaries, legalized it in May of 2019. What the heck? Yeah. Yeah, we've seen some shady deals uh, up, up in this state, too, where the owner of Harvest Health was acquired by, or excuse me, the owner of Have a Heart was acquired uh, by Harvest Health out of Arizona, which has since been merged. So when the owner of the Washington State Have a Heart got his money, went to California, bought a license through a social equity applicant, and then went some backdoor deal, found his business partner, paid the business partner off. Whereas the, the, the main person had no idea this transaction was going on, found himself out of a license and then tried to sell that to high times. So, yeah, that sounds like, you know, uh, circumvention, unjust enrichment, quantum merit. There's a, a list of quasi contractual claims that a guy like me has no problem. Like I, I got out of court like two years ago because I was the man's man. I was the when the bank got in trouble, they'd be like, well, we'll call you. And then uh, I'd be deposing wealthy people that had stolen money from banks. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't too thrilled about it. But now if it's going to be these um, businessmen, let's call it, 
uh, that are engaging in shady practices, I got no problem suing the crap out of them, you know, provided the clients can pay. <laughs> One of the things I find, Tom, tell me if you, you see, see it, seeing it the same way. I, I remember reading recently how Connecticut was proclaiming its uh, 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 magnificence as a social equity sort of uh, uh, landscape, right? How they've, they've set the standard higher for the way that we're going to do social equity, the state of Connecticut. Uh, and I thought, well, that's interesting. Let's really take a look at it. And the, the tiny little box that they put a social equity applicant into and mm -hmm. expect him to be able to perform, I think it's pretty much what you were just describing. The social equity applicant, which they never really say, really probably ought to be a black or brown person. So we're just not actually gonna put that part in the legislation, but you know, you got wink, wink, right? Mm -hmm. So not only, so, so there's that person, they have to live in a certain census tract which is a low income community census tract and they have to live have lived there for the last 5 years they have to have a certain level of income that is not not wealthy they have to have a certain basically middle class income live in a low income community for the last 5 years and yet they have to have access to 3 million dollars cash plus to another 2 million dollars that they have to keep in escrow and they have to be 51% owners of an entity that is going to apply for a social equity license. Uh, it's, uh, I, is it worse that, than that? Yes. Um, <laughs> the, the clarity on this, and again, this is a closing window. And so the clients that want to get in, get in, let's get your application together because it's a conditional application for social equity. I haven't heard about the $2 million in escrow. I have heard about the $3 million, but it's 65%. It's not 51%. A social Thank equity you. venture, joint venture can be 51%. Okay. But uh, and not only that, so that the $3 million is hilarious, but then you have to have this ownership and control be to this person who's poor, like, you know, essentially. Right. Has, they aren't going to be able to cut a $3 million check. And then they have to have 65% ownership. And then, you know, the $2 million bond, I haven't heard of that, I'll have to see. But the uh, regulations and the user interface for Connecticut's um, uh, website that they have for their um, uh, licensing system is kind of like, you know, does, developed by somebody who must do casinos because it just leads from one place to another and then eventually you're lost and you're like, well, I'm trying to find this and you can't find anything. Like the organizational file structure is garbage. Uh, and, and then you have to log into something else and, and create a, a, a profile and then upload all this stuff. Uh, and so right now it's, it's really about, you know, helping those people put this thing together. And yeah, not one, not one of those social equity applicants will be the person striking that check. Not of course one. not. It's, it's virtually the, impossible. Yeah. It's virtually impossible. And it's probably going to be classified as a loan uh, of some sort. So now you are launching this social equity company. That just has a conditional license for somebody who's 65% ownership and $3 million in debt. Right. And then right. they got to go pay, build and a the facility, you know? Right. And, and paying the VIG on that $3 million, right? And so, yeah, uh, it's just, it's, it's that, that ludicrous. has to get paid back before they, they see one, one lick of profit. And then not only that, all right, now let's go uh, build out like a $10 million facility. And then, uh, okay, so if you're going to do that, 
and you're, are you going to acquire that real estate? No, probably not. But you might have an affiliated ent entity that acquires it. And now you have a long-term lease and then you can jack them on the lease as well. And then now you, you, you keep the, the facility asset and you get the benefit of that with the depreciations and the, uh, the accrual of actual, you know, equity and wealth. And then you just have a tenant in there who owes you $3 million. <laughs> yeah. It's a nightmare. Uh, and, and they and they and they claim that this is this is social equity at its best. I mean, it's really it's it's absolutely pathetic. It's really really. They, they do that like sometimes when Ted Cruz is really being a shit, uh, you'll see him kind of like believing his own crap and then like I'm getting away with this, and you'll see him kind of like smiling. I would love to see the politicians in Connecticut trying to say with all sincerity in their face that this is real social equity. Yeah. yeah. Before we take a, a quick commercial break, do you guys think that this is going to happen anytime soon? Will you see in 2022 any kind of substantial equity uh, law pass at the local or national level? No. And then like the other thing is no. that I have people that are saying that they think the MORE Act has a shot. And I'm like, are you kidding? The MORE Act can't have a shot. I mean, like, Ketanji Brown barely made it through uh, her her confirmation process. There was only like three Republican senators that um, uh, voted uh, for a qualified representative. This is like Judge Scalia, conservative, you know, uh, firebrand Judge Scalia still got appointed like ninety six to four or something like that. You know, it, it the it, the country is just too splintered. And then you look at the vote in the, the crazy place, the House, not the Senate, where they're even more conservative and stodgy. And it was like two or three out of like the 200 uh, Republicans voted for it. It was 97, 98 percent against. I don't think you get one Republican Senate uh, tur that would vote for uh, the Moore Act. Uh, and then you'd have to have every single Democrat vote for it. And it would pass by one vote. I don't think uh, Mitch McConnell or Chuck Schumer, who's championing a different bill, is going to allow that to ever come up for a vote. Sure. Yeah, I'm not going to hold my breath. Uh, but don't hold your breath either. We're going to be right back. We're going to talk about uh, the sales differences between Illinois, Washington, and California when we come back to Green Rush Live. Don't go anywhere. Cannabis Media Programming is available live and on demand on our Facebook page at ProCanna Media, on Instagram at ProCannabis Media, on LinkedIn also at ProCannabis Media, on YouTube and YouTube Live on ProCannabis Media, Twitter at ProCanna Media, and on twitch.tv backslash ProCannabis Media. So like, share, and subscribe to all of our content, newsletters, and shows live or on demand. We are Pro Cannabis Media. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday. 